So, Judges chapter 5, the song of Deborah, as it is called. Then Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinoam, sang on that day, saying, When leaders led in Israel, when the people willingly offered themselves, bless the Lord. Hear, O kings, give ear, O princes. I, even I, will sing to the Lord. I will sing praise to the Lord God of Israel. Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched from the field of Edom, the earth trembled and the heavens poured, the clouds also poured water, the mountains gushed before the Lord, this Sinai, before the Lord God of Israel. In the days of Shamgar, the son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were deserted, and the travelers walked along the byways. Village life ceased, it ceased in Israel, until I, Deborah, arose, arose a mother in Israel. They chose new gods, then there was war in the gates, not a spear, not a shield or spear was seen among 40,000 in Israel. My heart is with the rulers of Israel, who offered themselves willingly with the people. Bless the Lord. Speak, you who ride on white donkeys, who sit in judges' attire, and who walk along the road, far from the noise of the archers among the watering places. There they shall recount the righteous acts of the Lord, the righteous acts for his villagers in Israel. Then the people of the Lord shall go down to the gates. Awake, awake, Deborah. Awake, awake, sing a song. Arise, Barak, and lead your captives away, O son of Abinoam. Then the survivors came down, the people against the nobles. The Lord came down for me against the mighty. From Ephraim were those whose roots were in Amalek. After you, Benjamin, with your peoples, from Machir, rulers came down. And from Zebulun, those who bear the recruiter staff. And the princes of Issachar were with Deborah. As Issachar, so was Barak, sent into the valley under his command. Among the divisions of Reuben, there were great resolves of heart. Why did you sit among the sheepfolds to hear the piping of the flock for the flocks? The divisions of Reuben have great searchings of heart. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan. And why did Dan remain on ships? Asher continued at the seashore and stayed by his inlets. Zebulun is a people who jeopardized their lives to the point of death. Naphtali also on the heights of the battlefield. The kings came and fought. Then the kings of Canaan fought. In Tanakh, by the waters of Megiddo, they took no spoils of silver. They fought from the heavens. The stars from their courses fought against Sisera. The torrent of Kishon swept them away. The ancient torrent, the torrent of Kishon. O my soul, march on in strength. 
Then the horse's hooves pounded, the galloping, galloping of his steeds. Curse Meroz, says the angel of the Lord. Curse its inhabitants bitterly, because they did not come to the help of the Lord, to the help of the Lord against the mighty. Most blessed among women is Jael, the wife of Haber the Kenite. Blessed is she among women in tents. He asked for water, she gave milk. She brought out cream in a lordly bowl. She stretched her hand to the tent peg, her right hand to the workman's hammer. She pounded Sisera. She pierced his head. She split and struck through his temple. At her feet he sank, he fell, he lay still. At her feet he sank, he fell. Where he sank, there he fell dead. The mother of Sisera looked through the window and cried out through the lattice, Why is his chariot so long in coming? Why tarries the clatter of his chariots? Her wisest ladies answered her. Yes, she answered herself, Are they not finding and dividing the spoil to every man a girl or two? For Sisera plundered of dyed garments, plundered of garments embroidered and dyed, two pieces of dyed embroidery for the neck of the looter. Thus let all your enemies perish, O Lord. Let those who love him be like the sun when it comes out in full strength. And so the land had rest for 40 years. Grass withers, flowers fade, but God's word is alone, enduring forever. May he bring his blessing. Well, that's quite a song to sing, a victory. <laughs> I wonder how many contemporary Christian songs would meet uh, along these lines with the approval of the Holy Spirit guiding and leading them to say such things. Uh, I found that this is my fifth or sixth time reading through this song and every time I get to verses 24 down to verse 27 I just think uh, I, I don't know how those lyrics would have been sung and communicated in their day as they were rejoicing to the Lord but this is this is what they sang they were singing a song of victory interestingly this is the fourth song in the Old Testament thus far. There are many more outside the book of Psalms. Uh, the book of Psalms, of course, are 150, but uh, there are some 40 other songs throughout the Old Testament alone that uh, bring forth a testament of God's power and glory working for his people. Uh, Exodus 15, the song of Moses and Miriam, the prophetess, uh, that's something I just picked up on this past week, that Deborah wasn't the only prophetess in the Old Testament. Miriam was as well. Uh, you get to Numbers 21, verse 17, the song of the wells. And uh, that has, I think, been put to music. And then Deuteronomy 32, Moses and Joshua, and the song of the covenant of God. Mighty and powerful in those ways. Why these psalms? Why aren't they included in the psalms themselves? Well, some parts of them are. 
Sisera is mentioned in Psalm 83, and you see the inclusion of some of these things in the Psalms. But it is very customary, or it has been in history, for people to write and create poetry and songs concerning epic battles and events or tragedies, or in the case of Scripture, grand redemptive works of God. Uh, Some of you may know uh, Iliad by Homer. That is such an epic poem or song. We have examples of others, Flanders Fields, or in uh, our own uh, country, uh, the Edmund Fitzgerald. You know, songs are made of tragedies and events. And they're made to inscribe in the annals of history something worthy of recognition and praise. What's the point of song? These are just things I think it's important just to take a minute and to think on. What is the point of song? And and if you're thinking about the songs that we have sung today, what is the point of those songs? Most of you are going to immediately say, well, it's to praise God, to acknowledge God's glory and greatness. Yes, but there's more to it than that simple phrase, let's praise the Lord. Colossians 3 gives us an understanding of song's purpose. And Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom and teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Like there is to be a, a, a placing within our mind and our hearts to affect our thinking and our affection. Songs that bring the word of God into our very soul. That even would admonish us. And as it says at the end of Colossians 3.16, we're singing with grace in our hearts to God. Singing with love and affection for our God. One of the points of song. Songs are also purposed for us as we heard from Psalm 105, verse 2. As we are called to sing to God, to sing psalms to Him. We are in our songs to be talking of all His wondrous works. I will say this just as a critique of a lot of modern hymnody. That the great deficiency of them is that they're more focused on us than they are on God. And many of these modern songwriters would do well to study the Psalms, to think on how we are to create praise to God. Talk of all His wondrous works. And and there in song, God wants to hear us Those wondrous works include the death of our enemies. How many modern hymns have you heard on that? (laughs) None. Other than maybe Satan. 
but the bringing down of God's enemies, the praying against evil. Many of those wondrous works also include the very hard providence and judgments that God exercises as he proclaims to his people his faithfulness. You know, Psalm 105 calls us to sing and to talk of all his wondrous works. And then you see what he goes through. He goes through what Israel experienced as God was leading them through the desert into the promised land. And it's not all bed and roses. (laughs) And the hard providences that Israel had to endure and, and, and watching as well the destruction of their enemies in Egypt. Where Psalm 105 concludes with these words of song. Where we are testifying to God and giving praise that he has remembered his holy promise. He has brought his people out with joy. His chosen ones with gladness. He has given them the land of the Gentiles for them to observe his statutes and keep his laws. Praise the Lord. That in the destruction of the enemies and in the unfolding of his judgments and providences, Israel is seeing the faithfulness of God. Psalm brings us to that way. It brings us to be a people who can say and acknowledge the Lord my God is being faithful to me. And that, that's a huge part of Psalm. And, and when we come to Judges 5, and, uh, you know, talking about the point of song in general, the point of this song, it, it meets us uh, wondrously. The point of this song is seen in exalting the glory of the Lord before the nations. In verse 3, Israel wants, and, and since this is inspired words, God wants Israel to so sing in a way that the kings and the princes around them will understand the Lord God of Israel has done this work for his people. To strike that terror into the hearts of his people. Uh, I mean, into the hearts of their enemies and the nations that are around them. And that, that is something that this song is doing. And when you have that in your mind, that exalting of the glory of the Lord before the nations... It makes sense when you come to Sisera and to see why are they so graphic in singing about the death of their enemies. They want them to know this is what the Lord has done, not just jail. And this is what the Lord will do to all their enemies. And song declares those, those truths. It's also, in this psalm, as we're going to see, it's declaring the covenant faithfulness of the Lord to his people. And let's remember, this is, a, this is unique in Judges. This is the only place where we are given a song to sing about a victory. But this is a victory over an enemy that was sent in to discipline Israel for their idolatry. God could have cast off his people, but he didn't. He was faithful to his covenant. And that again is a heart expressing joy and wonder. 
God, you are so faithful to a faithless people. It's amazing. But it's also a song that praises the Lord for the blessings and curses of his covenant. A song that is purposed to remind the the generations that would come God's faithfulness to bless those that would seek and be faithful to him and God's promise to curse those who would fall away. And that's one of the big things we see as we look in the, the opening portion. And there's, I'm dividing this psalm into three portions, or sorry, this song into three portions. And the first one is verses 1 to 9, where we see Yahweh's, and I'm using that word because that's, that's the word translated by Lord in the entirety of this song. Yahweh's mercy. Yahweh's mercy meeting his people. The Lord, the Lord your God, who is merciful and gracious, long-suffering. This is a song that sings of the victory and celebration of the Lord's new deliverance for Israel again, again. The, The continuing refrain of every new judge. You look at verse 1 of chapter 6. Even after they had rest for 40 years, what does it say again in verse 1? The children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. Again. Again. Now it doesn't mean that God is just a candy giver of His mercy. When we acknowledge how faithful he is in coming and meeting Israel generation after generation with his mercy. But this is where we do begin. As much as Israel deserved to have the countenance of God turned away from them, and as much as they deserved not to have the peace of God settling upon them, God comes in his faithfulness to extend to them a mercy, a renewing, a forgiveness, and a restoration in the land. When you read this song, and it talks about blessing the Lord and realizing how God has turned their circumstances around, it it just reminds me of, of that song we sung this morning. And, and it's one of the reasons it was chosen because tonight is a psalm singing uh, service. But that song, Our Sins, They Are Many, and, and His Mercy Is More. And, and that's what is inviting Israel to praise as Deborah and Barak, they bring forth this song of glory and praise to Israel because the people willingly offered themselves to the Lord for that for that uh, conquering of their enemies, but, but even more for that restoration of the people as they sing to the Lord and sing praise to the Lord God of Israel. It's an invitation for everyone to join in and to bless the Lord. And you see that at the end of verse 2 and at the end of verse 9, that twice uh, imperative is laid out, bless the Lord. Why? 
Because even for all our evil, the Lord is still inviting us to come and seek Him and worship Him and receive from Him blessing. God raised up Barak, weak as a leader he was, to bring victory to His people. God has been in the midst of them. God has intervened on their behalf when they were in the the bondage of their idolatry once again. Do you see that in verses 4 and 5? It was the Lord who went out before them and brought forth the, the clouds and the heavens to pour down water upon their enemies and to bring them to a standstill so that they could be crushed God, the Lord God of Israel, has done this. And that's an amazing thing to see here. God's mercy working for the goodness of His people. And God using creation to testify to His power and, and to His mercy to Israel. A power that would destroy their enemies, but in that destruction of their enemies bringing forth the deliverance of Israel. Israel here, as they, as they sing this song, they recognize, and you see it in verses 6 to 9, they recognize their, their evil. They recognize, and in a way in this song, are confessing their sins. They see it in the infection that uh, idolatry brought upon their land and brought them to that place of helplessness where they could not uh, bring uh, or deliver themselves from their enemies because in verse 8 they they had chosen new gods their love for the Lord had been brought to a standstill God brought this enemy upon them to bring them to that place where they could see where idolatry leads not to God but away from God and life under this, this Canaanite king brought Israel to a standstill. Life in Israel was so bad that they could not travel. They could not go freely about. Uh, it, it meant certain robbery and, and thuggery. All of, this, all of this was prevalent within the highways and byways of Israel. They could not travel safely on their main roads and they could not defend themselves as it, as it says there. Uh, they, they were in their villages uh, always living in terror and fear. Village life ceased. War was in the gates. They didn't have a shield or spear among 40,000 in Israel. They were, as, as it's implied there, they were at the mercy of their oppressors. And their oppressors were not merciful at all. And all that they described there was the condition and situation that was the result of their idolatry. And why are they singing this song? And why are they calling Israel and even the nations around them to hear because they want them to know that God is the one who had worked their deliverance. God is the one who raised up Barak to to bring them out from under this oppression. 
those who willingly offered themselves with the people. God saved them. Bless the Lord. My friends, this this again, it speaks far more of Christ than than what we realize when when we we look to our own selves and in that same situation of, of bondage and sin and and how how are we going to come out of this unless God Himself would work to raise up a deliverer for us? And of course, that is the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it's always I I know we know of and we hear from John three sixteen so often. We've got it memorized, and we see that as a gospel in a verse. God so loved the world that. He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. But, you know, in, in Christian circles, we debate on what does it mean by the world and, and, and isn't that a, a verse that favors the Arminian view that uh, we are loved by God and so there's something within us that enables us to believe in God and you know what most people in, in church miss with that verse? What is God loving? And, and, and the world is described just a few verses later. He's loving a world that is bent on evil. He's loving a world that is in so much bondage to evil they don't even recognize it. That even when the light and glory of Christ steps into our world, they look at it and they flee from it, they hate it, they will not come to it because they don't want their wicked deeds shown. That's the point of what it means. God so loved a people who were in the depths of bondage to such a degree that they were unable to step out of it. That's why we sang Psalm 40. I'm in the muck, in the mire of my sin. Have you ever, maybe in your youth you might remember it, but have you ever gone to walk on what we call the flats of a beach where you walk out into them? And maybe it's more common down in Nova Scotia where we used to live, but you'd go out on the tidal flats in your rubber boots. And you know your rubber boots come up about this high. You start walking out and your feet start sinking into the mud such that when you take that one final step your boot is staying in the mud and you're now walking in your socks and pretty soon you get stuck in that mess and you come back and you are just full of filth and dirt that's what Psalm 40 speaks of out of the mire you have lifted me and, and that's the praise of Israel here for God's mercy. You have done for us what we cannot do of ourselves. And my friends, that's our praise of Jesus Christ. He has come and done for us what we cannot do of ourselves. Can any of you break the bondage of sin? Even as a believer, can any of you break that strain and drifting away? All we like sheep have gone astray. 
You ever notice when you bring Isaiah 53, verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray, we have all turned to our own way. And then you, you wonder, okay, that's where we are. <laughs> We've gone astray. And then you bring it in with Luke 15, where he talks about the shepherd leaving the 99 to go out and to find the one. You know, I read a book about why it says there in that thing. And he finds the sheep and he picks it up and places it on his shoulder and he brings it back and he says, Rejoice with me, for I have found that which is lost. And then you hear that little verse, There's more joy in heaven over one who is returned than the 99 who were there. You ever wonder why he picks it up? Well, as I understand it, and, and I think and I've read this enough in different settings, is that when a sheep is lost and does not know where to go, it falls down and does not move and has to be picked up and brought back into the fold. You see, that's what Jesus does. He does that for us. Because we're incapable. And, and that, that's why when you, when you read this song it, and, and they're detailing their plight and where they are in, in, in all of that oppression that they're under and they're looking and they're saying, look what the Lord has done for us. <laughs> That's the joy of this psalm coming out. I keep calling it a psalm, sorry. A song that comes out. It's marvelous. But this song also moves on and in the longest part of this psalm, uh, from verse 10 all the way down to verse 23. It looks to God's people. That's the second part of this song. Yahweh's people. And, and it reveals the responses of Israel's tribes to the work of the Lord and the desire of the Lord to shine His mercy upon His people. And it's, it's very telling. Again, the state of God's people. If I were to reflect on verses 10 to 23 and compare it to the New Testament, I would compare it to the seven letters that Jesus wrote to the churches in Revelation 2 and 3. And when you read those letters, what's the state of the churches? For the most part, <laughs> it's not too rosy, it's not too pretty. And, and, and that's what we see here. There's a call to arms to God's people that comes out uh, as verses 10 and d down to verse 12 reflect upon the judges who are there who are to go out onto the road and call Israel to arms. And, and Deborah herself is to be awakened to this and God is the one who comes down and, and shakes up those who are judging and say, I am coming to do a work. Arise and and lead your captives away, O son of Abinoam. Verse 12. And God wants to do a work and he wants his people to be involved in participating in this righteous work of deliverance. But the, the response is less than enthusiastic. You would think, would you not, if God came and said to you, I want to do a work of mercy in Kingston. I want all of you to come together to this place and in an act of worship and declaration, let's make it known to the city of Kingston that the Lord has come to save and deliver His people. 
how many of you would come? How many of the church would show up? I'm just using that illustratively as to what's going on in these verses. And you would think everyone would come. It's like Isaiah 53.1 says. Who has believed our report? That's not a statement about who's believing. Let's see who's believing. It's a statement of why isn't anyone listening? <laughs> why does no one hear? And though this was the sovereign Lord's mighty work at bringing his people to deliverance, he still expected his people in faith to join in and he would be in their midst to bring about this deliverance. And so you have from verses 13 to, to verse 18 the, the roll call of the tribes, those who came, verse 15, those who in faith came and fought with the Lord. And, and you, you see them, Ephraim, Benjamin, uh, Machir, uh, Zebulun, Issachar, and they're, they're rallied together. And bear in mind, my friends, 10,000 came. And this was a time when they couldn't find shields and spears among 40,000. They didn't have armaments. But they came. You can see why as we go down the list why others didn't come. It's like, well, what are we going to fight with? <laughs> well, I, I know God is with us, but... But what do we have that's going to protect us? <laughs> the faith of God's people crumbled for the most part. Even among those tribes of Ephraim, Benjamin, Zebulun, Naphtali, Issachar. 10,000. Now I know it says God told Barak, rally 10,000 of my people. But that's a sovereign God who knew that that's all that would come. You get to Reuben, Gilead, Dan, Asher. They're the ones that are mentioned at the end of verse 15 down to verse 17. And, and they're questioned. Why haven't you come? Reuben, you're, you're, you, you were great resolve of heart. You, you were the one who said that you would fight for Israel under Joshua. And now you can't be bothered to cross the river because you have your sheep to take care of. I've got things to do. Gilead, Dan, and Asher, where are you? I'd like to come and help, but I've got my problems that I've got to take care of here. It's not my battle. Uh, they're fighting you. Uh, you know, you take care of it yourself sort of thing. 10,000 came when they couldn't find shields and spears among 40,000 because these were all who believed in the Lord at this particular time. And again, it's a song that is speaking to the condition and the state of Israel, the condition and state of the church in its infancy. Let's reflect upon that even today. Again, we do not understand the effect that idolatry has on our faith. It creates a faithfulness where that willing to come, willingness to come alongside of God and His people 
to help, to worship. It's the struggle of the church. It's the struggle of the church in every generation. And yet, the Lord was with them. As small as this number was in light of the whole of the nation of Israel that could have come to aid. You get to verses 19 and down to verse 22. And and God came in the midst of this small contingent. Greatly overwhelmed by the kings of Canaan. God came and fought from the heavens. And brought forth a torrent from the river that made their armies useless. Their chariots were sunk in the mire of the water and muck and they could not use whatever advantage that they had. And Israel was able to overwhelm them. Why? Because one person with God on their side will make a thousand flee. Now what the Psalms declare. If I were to, just to put another analogy to this that relates to today, you know, why, why have so many churches given up on their second service? And the worship on the Lord's Day. What's, what's the number one reason? Because people don't come in. And you stop and you think. And I know it's, it's part of that application of Matthew 18 that can be debated. But what does God say in Matthew 18? Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. The church is strong not because of the numbers she has, but because of the God who is in her midst. And, and even as this song is rebuking those who did not come out, and as we see in verse 23, even as it is cursing Miraz, who for some reason failed to come out, not because of some other uh, heartlessness that uh, we sometimes see expressed with Reuben and some of the other tribes. They came out because they rejected the Lord. They they had no uh, love for the Lord, no desire at all to be participating in the Lord's work. And so Miraz is cursed in this text. I think I think it's a, a big warning to to take to heart a lack of love for the church is a lack of love for the Lord. And that, that's a huge thing. And they wouldn't come out to help the Lord. It doesn't say they wouldn't come out to help Deborah and Barak. They wouldn't come out to help the Lord. In other words, they opposed the work of the Lord. And yet God, with this small contingent, destroyed the armies that were far greater, far superior in numbers and were the oppressors of these people for 20 years. It's a song that doesn't just uh, look to those who didn't come out and chastise them. It's a song that elevates 
the glory and grace of God and his power before those who did not join in the fight to say, come with us. Come and see what God has done. I know our, our time is upon us and we can't cover all of this, but the last point of the last section, verses 24 to 31 Yahweh's mercy, Yahweh's people, Yahweh's kingdom. How God worked through jail, that's all rehearsed here. She's blessed among women as one whom the Lord used to seal the victory for God's people. The point of this passage is reminding in song that covenant promise of God that ever stands for his people. Whatever circumstances we may be in, remember if you are in Christ, what is the overarching covenant promise that God has made, first known to Abraham, but still part of the principle of his covenant love to you. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. I believe we often think that that just applied to Abraham and Israel. But my friends, that covenant promise holds true to the church today. It held true to the church in her infancy, uh, even in the New Testament times as she was beginning to grow and to, to expand uh, throughout the, the world. And when those who rose up to persecute and to come against God's church, God would confront them. Remember what the Lord said to Paul when he, as Saul, was going through persecuting the church, bringing into pres- uh, prison those who were followers of Christ even murdering those who would speak on behalf of Christ. What did Jesus say to him? Why are you persecuting me? The one who promises to bless those who bless you and to curse those who curse you and to bring forth the blessing of his salvation to all of the earth through you is King Jesus, is our God and our Savior. And he has bound himself to us as our king and head to bring forth his blessings upon us and to judge those who are against us. When you hear this song and you sing it out, you you come to that place of asking yourselves, "What, what have I to fear? If the Lord is with me, of whom shall I be afraid? And and that is a a real uh, matter of faith that the church needs to lay hold of even today. What it means to, to testify to Emmanuel that God is with us. Well, if God is with us, what and whom do we have to fear? God has bound himself in his covenant love to those who belong to him. He is over us with his mercy. He is over us with his love and care and blessing. And he is over us 
to deal with all of our enemies. What a mighty psalm to sing. You know, when you read through the psalms and you sing through the psalms, how often that truth is given to his people. And may it be a truth that we lay hold of ourselves when we think upon our God. The Lord Yahweh is with us. We belong to his kingdom. And his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Let us hold that truth. Let us pray.